Hello and uh, goodbye. Goodbye to our last time here at this service. So um, if you're online, you're not going to get to say goodbye to our building. But feel free to drive by just because you got your driver's license, like that song that's out there. I don't know if you've heard that new song. Uh, yeah, so feel free to drive by, say bye if you haven't come in person to this one. Bye to this building. Um, we're thankful for it, but uh, God's got uh, exciting stuff uh, planned for us. So don't show up here next week. Um, we're going to Instagram, Facebook. We're going to like 10 times this week, so you'll have the address all over the place. We've emailed it out, that sort of stuff. And if, if you don't know, you could just call like anybody, and they'll give you the address. And so, um, cool. I'm really excited for this morning, so let's jump to it. What do, we, uh, what do we do? We love God and we love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. And I love you all. That's a you plural when we say that. You do know that, right? It's not just, I know some of us, we turn to our uh, significant other and be like, hey, baby, I love you. But it's, it's this, yes, that person, and then the other yous too that are in the room. So we love you all. So what a powerful last couple of weeks that we've had. Uh, two weeks ago, we were talking about the lie of the sacred and secular. And how, how that, that isn't uh, even a thing, like not at least in God's book. And then last week we heard from Brian Chan as he was talking about Christianity and cancer and how his Christianity informs uh, his life and his dealing with cancer outside of the walls of the church. And it was so encouraging to hear that uh, as he battles this horrible, horrible disease. And I don't know about you, but I was incredibly blessed by that time with him. And so it's our third week in this Beyond the 52 series uh, and I think that God has something to say to you today. I, I really do. I, I've been thinking about this, this particular message for the last couple of months. And I think if we are open to hear what God has to say, he has something powerful. Maybe, maybe like uh, sometimes there's paradigm shifts in life. And this may be one of them today if we are open to the movement of God in our lives. Do you guys remember your first job? Man, my first job, it was like classic. I was 15 and a half and I was a dishwasher. I worked at Roma Italian Dining, and it was this like small ma and pa shop, a hole-in-the-wall place, and that 15 and a half, I got my work permit, and I used to bike down there uh, to work three or four or five times a week. Uh, my shift was from 5 to 10 p.m. I know nowadays, I don't know if it's kind of legal to do that, I don't know, but, but you know, so I would bike it at night, and, and I'd get down there, and, and uh, they were too cheap to, have, uh, to hire a daytime dishwasher. So what they did during the daytime, they had enough plates. They would just use all the plates and stack them up in the dishwasher area. So when the nighttime dishwasher guy came, uh, he'd have to do that. Now, this was me. Now, I didn't used to be really tall. I used to be really small. So imagine me at this height. I would come into this uh, Roma Italian dining. You know, after school, did a little bit of homework, bike down there, hop into this place. It is hot as heck because it's, you know, it's a back kitchen and stuff. And there were dishes piled high. Now, I barely could see over the counter, the wash counter, but they would uh, pile them on the floor, and then they would pile them on the counter. And so these dishes were like at the maximum of my like reach height. I could like barely even get to the top of some of these dishes. So I'll walk into this place. It's like Avatar, if you saw that movie, and they walks into the new world like this and looking around. That's how I would walk into work. I'd come in. There were dishes above my head. I was like, oh, that's so exciting, right? Because I get to wash all these dishes. And, and you know about how Italian food works. Well, this place, they would have lasagna in a pan, and they would serve it all day long, and so they just sort of cut pieces out as they serve it. But that pan would bake in there all day long. And then they would just sit it there when it was empty, and it would just wait for me until I got there at 5 o'clock at night. And then I would somehow get to wash this thing. 
you know, normally it involves scrapers and that sort of stuff because the stuff was like caked on so bad. It was hot, it was messy, it was tough, but luckily I got paid four and a quarter an hour, man. After taxes, it was three eighty-five. I was making money. Three eighty-five. After six months, I could I, I saved up enough after six months to buy a car for eight hundred dollars. It was so awesome. Like man, six thousand hours of work for that. 1970 Datsun 510. That, that car didn't even work like a four out of seven days it ran. It was like a crapshoot every time I went out to, to start the car, whether it would start or not. <laughs> Worst car ever. But I was able to do that all because of work. My beautiful introduction to work. In today's sermon, we're going to take a really specific look at, at the idea of work and see how our faith must inform our work. In fact, the title for today is Jesus on Monday. And I'd like to explore just two ideas this morning. The first idea I'd like to explore is the idea that, that all work is equally honorable and equally honoring to God. And the second movement I'd like to see is if that first idea is true, if all work is equally honoring to God, then how does that inform how I go about my work? And so that's what we're talking about today. All work is honorable before God. That's our first movement. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 both have an account for... Uh, Genesis 2 has an expanded account of man. And so this is actually before uh, Eve is even... So God gives them this command before uh, Eve is created by God. So this is his very first command. He gives another command to fill the earth and like you know, really love your wife and that sort of stuff. But the very first command that God gives to Adam is, hey, Adam, I need you to work. I need you to, I need you to work and take care of the thing that I've created this earth. So God's very first command to Adam is to work. It's part of Adam's created purpose. And it's not just the individual Adam, because Adam is one representative of all human beings, is the first human being. And so what's good for Adam is, is good for us. See, God created Adam to be a worker. He created him to work in the day of his life. And this is before sin. See, work didn't happen because sin happened. Work happened before sin. God, God knew that we want to do stuff, that we like to do stuff, that, 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 that we want to create, we want to care, we want to build, we want to we think, we want to uh, imagine. And so God builds that as part of our DNA. If God created us to work, and it's in our design as human beings, how is it that most of us feel that our work is separate from our God stuff? I'll venture to say that most of you feel like there's this like God kind of thing you do on the weekend, and maybe on, uh, maybe on a small group, and maybe you go to an extra Bible study, but your work is a separate thing. How could that have happened to us? For most of you, your, your work may feel like it falls outside of the realm of, of, of faith, right? My work is my work, and my faith is my faith. My work isn't really a spiritual thing. I dare say that would be the claim of most of our church. Like, look, it's not that it's bad, it's just not a spiritual thing. Well, I'd like to call your attention back to the sermon two weeks ago when we talked about the lie of the secular and sacred divide. Where, where there isn't such a thing. Our series has been all about 
overcoming this misconception. See, one of the most insidious and common ways Jesus gets left aside in life is in this area of calling or work or vocation. See, if you're working for 8 or 10 hours a day and you're leaving out Jesus outside of those 8 or 10 hours a day, that's the majority of your life. You get home, you have some dinner, you have TV, and then you sleep for seven hours, but your biggest chunk of life is in work. Specifically, this idea of this inappropriate idea of separation happens when we think in terms of like God's calling in our lives or the degree of calling that God has for us. See, when we say calling, we almost exclusively uh, use calling to talk about a church invitation. Or maybe like a parachurch. You know, I've been called to be the KCM uh, overseer or something like that. Or, or maybe a pastoral challenge. I'm called to be a pastor. Or I'm called to be a missionary. That, that's almost how we exclusively use the idea of God's calling in our life in terms of vocation. But perhaps that we've misunderstood it just a bit. See, God does ask people to do something specifically. Check out this Ephesian text. It says this, so Christ himself, he actually gave apostles and prophets uh, and evangelists and pastors and teachers, but he gave them in order to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So sometimes there's people like me that that God says, "I I want you to do a specific job within the church. And that job is to help train the church or the body to do what? To do work. But it's not a position of greater favor or honor. Hear that? That's your pastor saying. My position as your pastor is not a position in God's eyes of greater favor or honor. Often it comes with different expectations. But there is no point ever in the Bible that decreases the godliness or spirituality of other jobs because there's a pastoral job. In fact, it's quite the opposite when we look at it. The position that I hold only exists so that I can help you work in your calling. That's it. It's It's not a greater position. It's not a more spiritual place to be a pastor. Your pastor could be just as sinful as a not pastor. Y'all know that's true. And so it's not a, the calling doesn't make the job more, more spiritual or more, more liked by God. Or he says, that one's faithful, that one's not. That isn't how God sees it at all. It's only a position to help you, the majority of the church, live out your lives Monday through Saturday. Dentist or veterinarian, lawyer, environmental scientists or bus drivers, germ abatement specialists, if we have any of those, managers, social workers, real estate agents, security and protection CEOs, starting your own companies, police officers, office clerks, stacking stuff at Costco, fast food employees, finance warehouse, all that kind of stuff. They're all work. And work is godly. Work is ordained by God. Work is a created piece of the fabric of your being. And not like sinful work, like like a hitman or like a drug dealer. Not not all work, but you know what I'm saying, right? So you can caveat that in your own mind. 
a hitman isn't, I'm an ordained hitman for God. Like, well, sometimes, actually, God did do that in the Old Testament a few times, so, but I'm, but that's not currently happening. I'm not even going to give you permission to let God say that to you, because he's not going to say that to you. Don't say that. Okay, so nothing like that. But additionally, I'd like to add something on, because we don't think of it as work oftentimes. I'm going to, I'm going to add on to all of you who are students. So if you're a student, you're in high school and you're in college right now, uh, and if for some reason you're in elementary and you're listening, usually I think the elementary kids bail by now, but even if you're in elementary, if you are a student, that is, that is your work. Like, friends are really nice. It's awesome to have friends. Having fun at school is really good. You should have that. You should have some balance. But your work is your studies. Your work, the thing that, that as I'm talking about work, you fill in studies for that. Your school is your work. And that's your position right now. Now, if God calls you to drop out of school and become a missionary uh, down in the Amazon jungle, awesome. Drop out of school and become an Amazon missionary. That's what we tell our kids. You don't got to go to college. You don't even have to go to high school. If God asks you to go to missions, then see you later. But unless he doesn't, your work is your school. And so whatever we talk about, the rest of this sermon, that pertains to you. Another category I wanted to say specifically and mention this specifically is stay-at-home parents. Because sometimes people say, well, that's not a job, or that's not work. Well, I'll tell you, absolutely, that is not true. If you are a stay-at-home parent, that is your work. God has called you to that. That is holy and ordained by him. It is unappreciated and unpaid, but that doesn't make it unvaluable or unholy or unhonoring to God. It is the opposite. God asks some amazing special people, to, to stay at home with their kids. And there may even be a few of us that are retired. Maybe you're at that blessed place. And that's really cool because you know what? You don't have an official work. That means everything you do all day long is work. So if you're retired, you're working constantly. Because there's no such thing as a job that is secular and a job that is sacred. All work is holy work. But when was the last time you heard an invitation to come forward and to surrender your life to the call of engineering or graphic design, right? When is the last time the church said, surrender your life so that you could be a janitor, you know? When was the last time we had a commissioning service for, for a, 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 an, an entrepreneur who was starting a business, you know? And we had the church came together and prayed over them like we do sending mission teams or missionaries. When was the last time there was an artist with a new exhibit that we went over and, and we, we ordained that and we just prayed over that? Yeah, not so much. See, the result of this terrible incompleteness and in the doctrine of calling has led to the implication, if not the explicit teaching, that there are called and there are uncalled within the body of Christ. See, a missionary is a called person. A teacher, they're just a person. And so we've made this distinction that God absolutely does not like. You see, the beginning of this passage about that apostle's passage, it says this. This is Ephesians chapter 4. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Calling isn't about job. Calling is about a relationship to Jesus and a standing in God's kingdom. And it's permanent and it's all-encompassing. It's a status change to every aspect of our lives. 
The truth is that if you and I are not called, then you and I are not saved. All believers are called. Some to one thing, some to other, all to Christ. Look, lip service to the above point may, may give way to this second misunderstanding of calling, the belief that there are degrees or hierarchy of callings. So I'm talking to you right now, uh, and maybe in your heart you're admitting, okay, yeah, I get how everyone's called. But internally, you're holding on to this idea that, that some vocational calls are more important or more pleasing to God than others. So you're hearing my words, yeah, I'm called, I'm called, we're equal, we're equal, but, but pastor, pastor's way more godly than my job. German Bateman specialist. And so you may give lip service to the idea that, we're, that they're equal, but in your heart, you're still holding this other piece. No, they're not. One's way more spiritual. One's way more Christian than the other. If you're still saying that, then you're missing out on something. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Here's the biblical reality. Each one of us is called, and we are equal in that calling. None higher, none lower. Whatever job or vocation God asks you to do immediately becomes a Christian job. Because you took it. See, there's no such thing as sacred jobs or secular jobs. Jobs don't have intrinsic morality. Our friend Matt Hagahara works for the city of Irvine. That's not a secular job. It's a job, and he's a Christian. And so, therefore, that's a Christian's job. Do you hear that? There is no Christian job only a Christian's job. And what I've seen is if, if people will start to realize this and hold on to this, and if this can make its way out of your head and into your heart, like it changes things. It changes the way how, how you approach work and life. It changes how you, how you dynamically can fall in love with the things that God asked you to do with your engineering with your, with your veterinary, with your doctoring, with your lawyering, with your judging, whatever it is. It frees you up to know that, like, oh, I wish I could serve God, but I can't because I have this job. See, we, we make this division, and God's like, wait, what? I gave you that job. I want you to love it. I want you to be passionate about it. I want you, I want you to know that you're called to it. The moment you go there, it's a Christian's job. Because you're there. It gives us a confidence, an abandon, to pour ourselves in, into our work and not be ashamed by that. Now, I'm not saying become a workaholic, but I'm saying if you're in finance and you love it, pour your heart into that as a worship to God and know that God is honored in that. He doesn't want you to quit that and go do something else. He called you to do that thing. And if he ever does want you to quit, you know what? He'll tell you. And if he does, then quit and go do whatever else the next thing he asks you to do. When we do this, the church becomes stronger and the kingdom expands because each of you are participating and increasing the impact and the range of God's work. See, it's not just trapped here. If you all understand that you are called in whatever job you're in, then, then God's reach, extent, and impact increases. Look, I'm really thankful to hear. I, I think I hear this occasionally more and more now. 
people saying like, you know, yeah, I was called into teaching. Yeah, teaching's a calling. But you know what? So is engineering. And so is plumbing. And so is AC. Man, I thank God for AC people. If it were for favorites, I would be so much sadder without AC people. So if you're in the air conditioning industry, thank God for you. What a spiritual job that is. And don't you dare say, no, it's not. Yours is, Pastor. <laughs> Mine is, yes, that's true. But so is yours. And one is not greater than the other. So if this is true, it's going to move to our next, it's going to, it's going to uh, inform our next movement. If it's true that your job is holy, it will change how you go about your job. Look, students, if, if you think that when God called you to be a student and this is the thing you're doing, and, and it is a holy work unto him, it changes how you study. No longer are you just studying to get an A. No longer are you just studying to get your mom off your back. No longer are you just studying to impress somebody or to try to get into college. Rather, you're studying as a worship to God, as an honoring tool. Say, God, I'm going to give this to you. If all jobs can be God-honoring, it changes how we approach our week. God calls each of us to live out our faith in, in daily living, not just inside the church building. Like I, I want to make a point from uh, Colossians chapter 3, but I have to kind of work up to it. So let me tell you how Colossians chapter 3 begins. In the beginning of Colossians 3, uh, Paul, he says, I'm going to give you some practical living as a Christian. And then he reminds them and uh, where the basis is. He says, you have been raised with Christ in, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, I mean chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. He says, you've been raised with Christ. You're no longer living according to the world. You're living according to God and uh, living according to Christ. So that, that's how it begins. And then he says, because that's true, I'm asking you to do a couple of things. Because that's true, I want you to not worship sex. I want you to not, uh, uh, I want you to be more careful with how you talk to people. I want you to, uh, no longer look at hierarchies like the world does. I don't want you to look at religious positions. I don't want you to look at people in terms of their race. I want you to see people that, as their equal, or men or women, or this kind of thing. He says, I want you to abandon those things. He said, I want you to shed those things and instead clothe yourself with these things like compassion and ki kindness and patience, forgiveness, so that we could love, uh, live in love and connection to one another. And so that's how he starts this Colossians 3. Like, because of the basis of Christ... I want you to change the way you live. And then it comes to the kicker. It comes to the sort of the end as he's listed out a bunch of kind of stuff. Here it is, Colossians 3 and 17. He says, the conclusion is, whatever you do, whether you're talking or you're doing, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. For the believer, living with Christ and according to the word isn't only when we meet in a building with other Christians. See, this whatever is not confined to whatever on a Sunday morning. There's no comma, Sunday mornings, comma, worship service, comma, anything like that. It says whatever you're doing, whatever you do, whether you're talking or you're doing, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Worship isn't contained to the 52 Sundays a year. Christianity extends beyond Sunday service to include everything, whatever you do. A few verses later, he reiterates this idea, and when he's talking to a specific group of people, he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. They said, well, who is he talking to? 
See, in this passage, pull that passage back up, leave it up for a second. In this passage, he's actually talking to people who are literally in slavery. This is a word from God to people who are living in slavery. Whatever your work is, it's better than slavery. Yet Paul says, even if you are in the worst possible work situation, even in the worst possible situation, you know what? God is glorified by you. Now, if you could get out of that situation, get out of it. But even in the most terrible situation, even that God can be glorified and honored. In our reality, whatever job you are currently doing, work at it 100%. Not for your boss, not for your paycheck, not for your retirement. What's the Bible say? Work at it as if working for the Lord. Do your work to honor God. When you've went about your studies, when you went about your your taking care of the kids because you're a stay-at-home parent, when you went about dealing with your conference calls on Zoom because you're at a, a different kind of employment, are you doing it for the Lord? Is it, are you saying, like, Lord, this is your worship time? Worship happens at work, all work. They can't even stop it. They can't even create laws to prevent it. If they do, then you can just worship, and they, know they can't even stop. How can they stop your worship? It's an internal thing between you and God. Like, Don't you worship at work? Well, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do the best job of anybody here. They're like, that's awesome. We're making more money. And I don't care if you're making more money because guess what I'm doing? I'm working for the Lord. I don't care if you make money or not. God doesn't care if they make money or not. God doesn't care about the businesses, you guys. You think God cares about Froyo or 31 Flavors? God doesn't care about that. But he cares about every person that's working at any of those establishments. He cares about the people. And in scooping ice cream, which was another one of my jobs, I'm a high-class worker. In scooping ice cream, you can honor God. That should be our commitment. See, look, we should have a connection and a commitment here at church. That's really cool. And we have to have that. But believers ought to not to lose sight of the fact that we don't go to church. The church goes with us, the believers. Church doesn't only happen in this building when we meet on Sunday mornings. It also happens over conference tables at work. Church happens on Monday morning. And when each of you are freed up from the official sanctioned sort of ministry stuff and you're empowered to be ministers of the gospel wherever you are, then church is no longer a few moments on Sunday, but it's a way of life on Monday. This means everywhere you go, church is in session. Amen? Amen. You guys know Fred Rogers? You're like, Wait, no, I don't think so. Fred Rogers. Yeah, you do. If I said, you know Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? You're like, oh, yeah, I know Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You know why? Because that show was on for 31 years. 865 episodes Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was on. And that, the guy who was in charge of that was a guy named Fred Rogers. He was, he was actually a minister before he became a TV personality. And over the course of those 31 years, he would use his neighborhood show, uh, to bless the world, to show the world a microcosm of what life should look like, what neighbors should act like, how we should treat others and care about others and and minister to others, how we should love people. 
And so he used that, that vehicle uh, to show that to people all throughout the world. Now, was that a church? That's not a church. He's an actor on a TV set. But God used that show powerfully. It was a non-threatening space where Mr. Rogers, he helped viewers work through all sorts of difficulty. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but there's heavy stuff on there. He talks about divorce, talks about death. He talks about, you know, when, when there's all sorts of issues going on in life. Several months after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, just a few months later, Mr. Rogers had on uh, Officer uh, Clemens. Now, Officer Clemens was this reoccurring role by an African-American man. Now, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was the first time that there was a reoccurring role for an African-American on a children's program. And and one of the times, he had this, uh, this friend of his come, Mr. Clemens, he came on, and Mr. Rogers, he was doing a bit about uh, loving our neighbors, caring about other people, and he said, it's a hot day, and he had a pool out, and he was cooling his feet in the pool, and he invited Officer Cummins to come sit down and cool his feet in the pool, and so he brought over the water, and he was spraying off wa- Officer Cummings' feet. Now, this is really important, because at this time, this is in, like, 1968, when, uh, so 1964, the Civil Rights Act happened, and, and so even though the law was passed, it wasn't a reality. Like there was still a lot of like animosity between between races, and one of the big issues was uh, white folks. They didn't want black people swimming in the pools, in the public pools, and and this was like a thing. Now now it's not a thing. Like you're like it was. It was literally a thing. Like there were a lot of public pools. People didn't have backyard pools at the time as much, and so there were a lot of public pools, and it was a thing where they didn't want. Uh, other races to be in the pool with them. And so what Mr. Rogers does, he pulls out a pool. And he brings this guy, he goes, get your feet in the pool with me. And they're showing feet. Uh, feet are whatever, right? That's the most beautiful feet I've ever seen. Now, I've never seen Jesus' feet. They're more beautiful, I'm sure. But I've never actually seen them. On TV, you can go watch some YouTube clips. There's these beautiful feet in this pool together. And it is powerful. And then Mr. Rogers takes us. His feet out, and then he, he drive, dries Officer Cummins' feet, and you're like, oh, I've been in church. I know that's like Jesus washing feet, right? So I know exactly what Mr. Rogers is saying. Now, those people who have never been to church, they don't know what that symbolism maybe is, but they've been touched by, by God's movement by watching Mr. Rogers at his job. You don't think that's an ordained job by God? Absolutely is. So if, if faith were only contained within the tidy walls of the building, church would have died decades ago. Where would the world be if the faithful kept their faith inside the sanctuary walls? Without a belief that God created people equal, William Wilberforce in England would never have campaigned the British Parliament to change laws on slavery. Without a firm conviction that God is just and he abhors violence, Dr. Martin Luther King would never have started a peaceful movement for civil rights change. Without a faith and love of the mercy of God, Mother Teresa never would have left her convent and went and served the poor and the needy in Calcutta. In other words, we would have done without some of the most powerful prophetic voices in the world if they had just kept their voices at church, and the world would be worse off because of it. And what will happen to this generation 
if we limit our faith to Sundays. For us as believers, the only way to show Jesus to the culture at large isn't to tell them to come here. It's for us to go there. And you go there every day. You go to work every day. And that's how we will change this world. That's how Jesus will reach people. Not because they're going to come here because Pastor Sam is so entertaining. We have so much cool light show up here. But because you've gone out and you've shown Jesus to the world because you know that there is not a holy job and a secular job, you're going to go and your job is going to be holy. Jesus must show up in you on Monday. So are you all ready for something powerful? I'm about to, to do a commissioning service. I don't know if you've ever seen a commissioning service. That's when a, a Christian pastor calls up other pastors and then they sort of commission them to be a minister, commission them to go out to be a ministry, uh, a missionary. But I'm going to commission our whole church. And if you're at home, I'm going to ask you that you do this. I'm going to trust that you will. I'm going to ask you to stand up because that's how commissioning works. I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm going to commission you to do something. So congregation, would you please stand? If you're at home, would you stand now? I don't know if you have a baby. Stand with the baby just for a second. And I'm going to commission you all to go into your works, your holy places, and to honor God 100% of the time there. To give your absolute best to the work that he's called you to Monday morning. You ready for this? I hereby commission you, and I send you, and I ordain you as ministers of God's church in every workplace and schoolroom on this planet. May all of your work honor the Lord as called child of the most holy God. I ordain you, send you, call you, commission you, and send you to be the light of Jesus Christ in this world and in your workplace. Amen? Amen? Let's worship together.